Welcome to Discernment Radio. I'm your host, Danielle Pai. And I am your host, Cindy Reednauer. And we are Discernment Radio, people and topics to enhance your life. So fun fact, I grew up in a cult. Uh, and I mentioned it today because it relates to today's topic. And the topic is uh, the dangers of believing without question and the damage that it can cause. You know, in, in my case, uh, without going into too much detail, because it's not really important to the discussion, what I can tell you is that it was responsible for really ripping my family apart. You know, my dad, while he was born into a poorer family, he was a great businessman. He ended up earning a good living, but died poor and in debt in large part because he donated an, an exorbitant amount of money to the church because he believed the world was going to end before we actually needed it for things like college and retirement. So... I myself was born into a religion that was emotionally toxic for me, my family, and many, many others. And I ended up leaving you know, when I was 18. So side effects of having belonged to a cult may include poor self-esteem, poor decision-making skills at an early age, being incredibly socially awkward, having difficulty understanding what's normal and healthy in relationships, being rebellious and doing everything just because you can once you get out, and being hypersensitive to criticism, which gets back to the whole self-esteem thing. And I'm not talking about textbook. I'm talking about my personal experience. Wow, that is a very serious, heavy subject. So what was it like being in that? Well, you know, if, if it's all you're used to, you don't realize how stressed you are till you get out of it. So when I first left... It was like an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt moment, like, holy <laughs> fudgesicles, I get to do whatever I want, be whatever I want, think whatever I want. The only problem is I had absolutely no idea who I was or what I thought. You know, I was 18 and it felt like the first day of my life. And at that moment, you know, you feel completely alone because as you might expect, cults do a great job of socially disconnecting you from the rest of the world. You know, your family is a, does a great job of you don't talk about personal stuff outside of the family. So even after you leave, you're still like, what What can I say? Um, you know, and in reality, there were people around me. There were friends in school. There were family members that I could have called on. But when you're so used to keeping everyone at arm's length and told nobody's going to understand, <laughs> you know, you learn to kind of keep quiet. So what did you do? How did you do it? And how did you find the fortitude to do it? <laughs> oh, so initially, I didn't want anything to do with religion. Or I don't want to hear anything about spirituality. Like, just leave me alone. And I was really, really fortunate. You know, a couple of years after that, I happened to sign up for a self-defense class uh, at a local college because I thought, you know, it's a good idea as a woman to learn and the teacher, who would later become my martial arts teacher for many years, he'd write a sentence from the Tao Te Ching on the chalkboard. And during class, he'd explain what it meant in the context of what we were learning and just about life in general. In fact, it was the only class I ever left, a physical education class, where we had to write an essay as part of our <laughs> final exam. What did you learn? <laughs> so... You know, all I knew is I left that class feeling more confident and grounded, and I had a fascination for Taoism, which the Tao Te Ching comes from. And then that was followed, of course, by Buddhism and Hinduism and Eastern philosophies. And then I kind of became obsessed. I went on to study world religions and philosophy, um, physics, which 
screwed up my grade point average because <laughs> don't take a physics course as an elective, but there you go. <laughs> but, you know, it, it ended up becoming a major course of study for me, the world religions and philosophy, because I wanted to find out what was true for me, but also what drove people to believe what they did. Was, you know, was it family? Like, you believe this because our family believes this, our community believes this? Or did people question and study and decide for themselves out of all the choices that were out there? So I was born into this religion, so I did not have a choice. But why do people join in general? And from what I could see, everybody wanted to feel safe and protected. There was the fear of the end times and gloom and doom, but you're safe if you stayed within this particular religious group. It provided a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose, and people there felt they were part of something special. And I believe it provided easy answers to life's questions. You don't have to decide. They're going to decide for you. And that made things really, really simple. So you said that you would see something on the chalkboard. Um, can you give me an example of what you saw on the chalkboard? And did you not question the meaning of it, or did you have to really process it? Um, I had to process it. It was foreign to me. It's interesting you mentioned that because even in martial arts class, people bow at the door when they go in. At the mm -hmm. end of class, they thank the teacher and they bow. To me, bowing was completely weird. That's, oh, that's bowing to another god. You can't oh. do that. And my teacher said, if you're not comfortable doing it, don't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and he was mm -hmm. pretty understanding about about it. So since you mentioned it, I happen to have a computer. <laughs> and there's one that I really, really like. Um, so this quote, the master observes the world, but trusts his inner vision. He allows things to come and go. And his heart is as open as the sky. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So um, can you discuss the idea of belief without question and what that meant to you in your life? And I still wonder, how did you get the fortitude to change all this? This had to be incredibly hard to decide to leave the beliefs that you had for 18 years. I think there was an inkling right about age 15 that something, this didn't make sense to me. Mm. And I would ask questions and I was met with a lot of anger. Oh. And, you know, this is why, this is the way it is. And, I'm, and like, but that doesn't make sense. Um, and then it's, well, this is faith and how dare you question kind of thing. Mm. So yeah, there was a long period of, of not believing, but then you feel like this emptiness when you spend your whole life believing a certain way and suddenly you're, you're thinking, okay, maybe there's nobody looking out for me. Maybe this life is all we get. And, you know, that was kind of scary. But at a core, that didn't feel right either. Mm. You know, so in, in it was a slow process, um, but in all the studies... And there are always, like my martial arts teacher, then a yoga teacher, then friends and family, they were too strategically placed to appear in my life when I needed them. And that told me there was something higher and there was a purpose, even if I defined that source differently from everybody else. And I actually went through a process of disbelieving everything and then thinking, well, what if everything is true? Like when you study any religion, let's assume that's true. What would that look like? Interesting. And after a while, you start to feel like, yes, that feels right for me. No, that doesn't. And, you know, don't be surprised if, you know, the conviction you had as a child changes and now you have a new conviction and five years from now it changes again. Because as we change as people, my beliefs have changed. I'm pretty sure your beliefs have changed. So recognizing that 
the way you are today, it might not be how you feel tomorrow and to be open and, and flexible to that. And I always tell people that healthy skepticism is a good thing. You know, you can be open-minded without assuming that what you're hearing is true in the same way that you can believe an authority figure without question, but I kind of think the latter is dangerous. What do you think? I would definitely agree with that. Um, but when you started to be exposed to these new ideas, did you have moments of fear? Oh, I had lots of moments of fear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was well, in how a did you get over that? <laughs> I was in a religion where if you have any, any intuition whatsoever, that was the devil trying to get in. Oh. You know, so everything that I explored, I was afraid of. You know, that the devil's going to come get me or something awful is going to happen. You disobeyed your parents. You're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> you know, so, um, <laughs> you know, and I, I credit a lot of self-reflection, a lot of good mentors and teachers that I learned from, a lot of actual study of different beliefs and a ton of meditation and a ton of mindfulness because, you know, when you go back to those situations as an adult and, and view them from that lens, you see things way differently, of course, than when you experience them as a child, but the emotions are still there. So unless you can look at those situations and kind of take a step back and not get emotionally tangled, you're going to run into problems. So that to me is where meditation and being mindful as I would kind of do that growth came in really handy. Mm. Well, I'm sure that in your religion that they didn't like to be questioned. And I know that even with some spiritual people that are quite famous, they don't really like to be questioned. And I have been in certain classes where the spiritual person presented themselves more as a guru who knew all the answers and you weren't supposed to question that. So how do you feel about that, even being respected as a guru yourself? You know... When I became a yoga teacher years later, there were people in class who I was their guru, that I was their church because they didn't have anything outside of, of yoga. And when they asked me a question, I knew my answer was going to become their truth. And I didn't want to abuse that power. You know, yes, you need three private sessions a week and must spend $10,000 yes. <laughs> on my course. You know, that kind of power you don't want. And, you, and coming from where I came from, I certainly didn't want to abuse that. That was actually part of the reason why I later became an interfaith minister, because I'm like, I want to be in the position to to speak to the person and answer their questions without putting my ideas in their head and letting them figure out their own truth. Mm -hmm. So when you decided to become an interfaith minister, did you have any hesitation at all? You know, <laughs> this is going to sound trite because everybody says they felt called to do it. I mm. knew I was supposed to study it. Mm. I knew, and I still haven't quite meshed what that means mm -hmm. but it was definitely something you need to do this so I kind of followed my gut on that um, the irony is I don't particularly care for organized religion for myself but I respect and understand its importance for others so I consider myself spiritual you know but my definition is going to be completely different than a lot of people that I speak to mm -hmm. so how do you define being spiritual? Well, for me, I think it's knowing who I am and being true to myself, knowing how I'm connected to a higher source, how I'm connected to those around me. It's having 
purpose and and understanding why I'm here. And and sometimes that changes too. You know, you think you know your purpose and you're suddenly (laughs) taken in another uh, direction. But you kind of have an internal knowing and you start to trust this feels right, this doesn't feel right. And, uh, And you do trust in whatever source, whatever power that is. You know, in my case, I don't think of a God that's out there that I have to say, please, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Mm-hmm. I look at it as if we're all expressions of that, divin- you know, divinity. I so, like that. yes, I can ask, but I'm also a collaborator. So I'm part of that experience. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I like Your that turn. Definition. How would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I see it as being connected to the energy that is outside of us, all the energy of nature, people their spirit being able to feel love for everything in the universe. That's how I would define it. That's a good explanation. So, Danielle, do you have any anger about what you went through in the past? Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, now I don't, I understand, you know, the fan my family and the people in the church, many were acting on everyone's best interest. You know, they're going by what they're taught and their life experiences and and their intentions were good. So it it didn't happen overnight. It took years for me to look at it objectively and see where they were coming from and understand and and lose a lot of, of anger, not only at them and myself, because a lot of this, you know, if you grow up in a faith that's telling you how awful you are. Yes. You're a sinner. Anything you do good is God working through you. Anything you do bad is because you're just awful being. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to have the confidence to like who you are and to forgive yourself for absolutely everything you think you've done wrong since the beginning of time was huge. And once you can accept yourself, it just makes it a lot easier to accept everyone around you and say, yeah, we're human and we screw up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still disappointed with some of the leaders who exploited the church, um, it doesn't feel right. Like, how does a harmful person stay in power that long? So, and that's where you have to believe that, you know, it's either happening for a reason, and the reason could be our collective consciousness is making bad choices, and Mm -hmm. we need to Mm -hmm. work together to make better choices. But, you know, we're being shown something, you know? So it's what lesson can I take from that? What was I being shown that I want to bring in the future. But mm-hmm. from my perspective, and I know many people um, who are still mad, and I and I understand, mm-hmm. they're still recovering. Um, and I get that. But if I am angry today, and if I don't let that go, then not only have I lost 18 years, but I've lost everything since then and everything that's going to come. Mm-hmm. So aside from the anger, do you ever actually think anything or start to do anything now and then realize that that actually goes back to a belief from when you were a child and doesn't have a place in your life now? So I think most people have an inner dialogue and they might not even realize it. And it comes out of their mouth and people almost say these things without thinking of it. Like, you know, anything that can go wrong will. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they spend money on something, money in, money out, or they just say these things that they don't realize, oh, stupid, I can't believe I did that. We talk so badly to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have these beliefs that are so ingrained that we don't necessarily vocalize them, but they're there. Mm -hmm. And actually, as kind of an experiment, one time I thought, you know, 
I'm starting to notice these negative thoughts. I'm going to, as an exercise, I'm just going to sit here and write down all the negative stuff that I say to myself. And so as for the next 10 minutes, I'm just writing things that I say to myself and think. And I got up to 50 and I thought, you know, <laughs> I really need to, to take a look at this and kind of rework that. Yes. <laughs> so Danielle, taking your life experience into account, what would you tell other people about how to recognize if something is authentic and whether they should listen to somebody without question? Yeah, so my cultimeter is very sensitive now. <laughs> and, you know, with, with leaders, whether they're political or religious or otherwise, there are some commonalities that I've seen. You know, anybody who is us against them and is mm, exclusive mm -hmm. versus inclusive would send up a red flag. Mm -hmm. So in in religion, it's, you know, this is our people and non-believers are not going to understand and to try to isolate you. To me, that's a bad thing. Yes. Any message that's telling you how awful you are or how awful somebody else is mm -hmm. and it's not a positive message would send a red flag. And I always ask, you know, what's the motivation behind the person giving the message? Yes. Is it self-serving? You know, when you give them money, are they giving it to charity? Are they you know, doing good works with it? Or is it going to buy somebody a new plane so they could, uh, you know, a private jet and a mansion and yes. all these other things? <laughs> Which that, happens a lot. <laughs> that doesn't benefit anybody but the person who's in charge. So in research, you mm -hmm. know, they make a lot of claims, but you need to research. And if somebody is giving you a quote and their interpretation of something, whether it's the Bible or any religious text, Go look at it yourself and see, does what they're saying resonate with you? Does it make sense with you? Mm -hmm. And also, there's different translations of the same text. So they're telling you from their perspective, this is what the text says, and you need to believe it. But, you know, people would say to me, well, you, you know, it's in the Bible. And I'd say to them, but I don't believe the Bible. And mm. then they had absolutely nothing to say to me, because if I say I don't believe it, then mm -hmm. where is your argument? Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go to a place that's common to everybody. Giving your power away, mm -hmm. they tend to be very manipulative. So if you feel like this leader is in control or you have no say in your life, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a huge red flag. A big one for me is being forced to be something other than who you are. No fun. So if if you go in there and you're having a great day, I did this and I'm so proud. Oh, that's pride. <laughs> you know, that's bad. And if you go in, I'm having a terrible day. This happened and I really feel bad about myself. But God loves you and you're mm. wonderful. You're a child of God and all this other good stuff. So if you're finding, this is actually true of, relationships too <laughs> if somebody's picking you up when you're down and pushing you down when you're up there's mm -hmm. a good sign that you're not being your true self um so from that would be feeling diminished you know do you feel good about yourself when you leave or do you feel less than that you're not worthy or you're nothing without them mm -hmm. i would say you can't ask questions um if you do, that's a challenge, and you're supposed to have faith. So for that, I would tell people, do your research. If you hear something that you're like, I'm not too sure about that, you know, sit with it and see if it feels right for you, but also do a little bit of homework. Interesting. You know, and you're not distinctly poorer than when you walked in the door. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> the money issue, yes. And you've, you've you know, because you're pretty open-minded and you've explored different beliefs across the gamut, not just Judeo-Christian, but some more metaphysically minded. Yes. What sets off red flags for you? 
Well, I think that money is a really good one. Yeah. Or when somebody says, well, I'll tell you more if you take my course and it's only $2,000. Yeah. Things like that just really are warning signals That's to me. That's a good one. The super secretive. Yes. Um, I mean, I've been in some yoga classes, unfortunately, like that, where, you know, don't share this message, don't write anything down. And if you try to teach it outside, bad things will happen yes. to you. And I think yes. anything that's a super secret message, and if you share it, bad things will happen, should mm-hmm. set off a real big red flag. Yes. And I think the last big one is judging your decisions and your behaviors. I mean, they would tell you everything from your health care options, how to dress. Women for a while couldn't wear makeup. We were told who to marry. Mm. I could not be married to a, a Hispanic man because, you know, I'm white. So there was no interracial marriage. They told you who you could marry, mm. what you could you know, believe what you could wear, whether you could go to the hospital for something or not. So when they're controlling all of your behaviors, huge, huge red flag. Um, So I would tell people, you know, use your intuition. How do you feel when you're there? And, um, and just kind of look out for some of the warning signs. Mm -hmm. All good points, I think. And we should also think about it's not just religious But any leader that is asking these things of you, we should beware. Absolutely. So, Danielle, what do you want people to take away from today's discussion? Well, I want people to understand it's okay to ask questions and to find your own truth. There are a number of people who will come into a meditation class and they'll they'll tell me something that's happening to them and they're afraid to tell anybody else because they're going to think it's weird. Mm. And they'll say, you know, is that weird? I'm like, no, that's not weird. Here's, you know, why you might Mm -hmm. be be feeling that Mm -hmm. you know and why are they afraid because they're worried that that society is going to shun them that the family is going to think bad and I'm like they're going to think bad about you for asking a question that Mm -hmm. seems odd Mm -hmm. you know so I want people to understand it's okay to think differently to feel differently to believe differently healthy skepticism is okay you're not saying be totally open-minded and accept without question you're not saying be totally closed-minded and block everything it's just understanding how to use that filter to come to your own truth Mm -hmm. and it's funny because before this I had a lot of uh, apprehension I actually asked my husband would you be embarrassed (laughs) if I talked about this publicly and what did he say he was like why would that embarrass me he had no idea why I was asking the question and you know one of the things I admire most about my husband is his ability to show up in life every day being genuinely himself And not caring what anybody thinks about it. You know, it's like he's saying, with no ego whatsoever, this is who I am. It's okay if you don't like or understand me. And I aspire to be more like that. I want that for more people. Mm -hmm. To find their truth and just say, this is who I am. And it's okay. You don't need to understand. You know, it's not all gloom and doom. On On the upside, I can tell you, I have an extremely happy life and I appreciate things in a way that people might not understand you know I I didn't grow up with Christmas and Halloween and celebrating birthdays I had the things where you you don't get to eat for 24 hours I mean this (laughs) fun stuff (laughs) so now people like laugh at me because I'll dress up for Halloween and it's like the best day ever they've never (laughs) seen a grown woman so excited because I celebrate everything whether I believe it or not I celebrate it just because it's so much fun (laughs) so I do think that I savor and appreciate things in a way that um, other people might not so there there are some 
there's some positives that came out of it. That's good. Well, thank you for listening today. And Danielle, thank you for sharing a slice of your life with us. You've been listening to Discernment Radio. Thank you for being here.